Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Episode 218, Bienvenidos Bitches, BTB Nafi. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Now, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims, because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, able-bodied white dudes. No, these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist. Sounds so happy. It's not. Oh, happy. No, it's not a happy thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. She just took a DNA test. Turns out she's 100% that bitch. You know, one of the good ones. <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right. So who are we talking about today, friend? Well, we have a treat for you today, or uh, it's a treat <laughs> it's for a me. Treat for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a story that I've been wanting to cover for a while. It was suggested by one of our fruities, Steve E. Oh, yeah. It's about Julian Carlton a black man who murdered seven people at Taliesin in Wisconsin, the estate of Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay, well, before we get into the Frank Lloyd Wright of it all, because I know how much Beth <laughs> loves him, and we must have, we, I'm sure we've gone somewhere in Phoenix, and you were like, come on, let's go look at the Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. Yes. Like, what? <laughs> You're like, this fuck? bitch. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before we get into it, how you doing? Good, good. I wanted to say Merry Christmas to our fruities because oh, yes. this is going to be the episode that drops right before Christmas. Yeah. So uh, Merry Christmas. And I Merry. also wanted to let you guys know that we're going on a break. Mm -hmm. And so after this episode, we won't be back until February. But we'll be cooking up some new ones for you and we'll have stuff for you to listen to on our feed. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are some cases that got moved up because of some listener suggestions. So be on the lookout for that. But Merry Christmas, Feliz Navidad, 
Buiti Fedu, which I think is Garifuna for Happy Holidays. But if my aunties are listening and I'm wrong, feel free to tell me. Also, but happiest of holidays. Happy New Year, everybody. We love yeah. you all so much. And now we're going to move on into the listener letters section of our all show. Right. Well, hello, angels. <laughs> you came in so hot. Whoa, hello, angels. <laughs> I'm thinking about You're, Christmas. I, I thought They're you were Christmas trying to do a angels. Frank Lloyd Wright impression. <laughs> No, I have, have no you ever idea. Heard him talk? That's why I imagine. I have, Hello, but I am Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> Would you but like? I have no idea how to imitate that. <gasps> Would you like to see my architectural drawings? <laughs> Is what I imagine him speaking like. <laughs> well, what's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Cindy for your email ah. and to Teresa for your voicemail. Yes, and Teresa. Her voicemail kind of was open-ended, so I've texted her. I think we're going to get on the phone and talk. Oh, cool. But it might be recorded. We might be able to fill you in. But she has a story and some tips. So thanks, Teresa. Yeah, thank you so much. And please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. <laughs> and we may feature it on a future episode. All right, let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. All right, we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject today is Julian Carlton, a black man who murdered seven people, including three children, at Taliesin in Wisconsin, the estate of Frank Lloyd Wright. Okay, now, before we get into the case, love and light to the victims. Remember, true crime is true for somebody. And so we want to say rest in paradise and power to all of the victims. 
including Mama Cheney, and her two children, John, who was 12, and Martha, who was 8, Ernest Weston, who was 13, Emile Brodell was 26, David Lonblom was 38, and Thomas Brunker was 68. So now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, this setting is going to be a little bit shorter today because our story is long. Mm. So the setting is the village of Spring Green, Wisconsin. Today, Spring Green is about a three-hour drive from Chicago. But back at the time that this happened, it was apparently a 10 or 11-hour train trip. Oh. Yeah, it's out there. Mm. And it's known for being the hometown of Frank Lloyd Wright, America's most famous architect. And in fact... Can you think of another American architect? I can't, but I wonder if that's intentional. If they've whitewashed architectural history and all we know is Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, Yes. I mean, I dare anybody who hasn't studied architecture to think of another famous architect. I can't. I I really can't. I challenge you. Do you, smarty pants, miss multiple (laughs) degrees, studied art here, there, (laughs) everywhere, and been to Paris, France, and all the things? (laughs) If uh, somebody mentioned a name, I might recognize it, but Uh I can't think of anybody offhand. Okay. Yeah, I I do think it was intentional. He did his, we'll we'll get into it later maybe, Uh um, but his last wife, Mm -hmm. she was basically his publicist and she did a great job. (laughs) Like Elizabeth Hamilton. No? Yes. Um, Eliza. Eliza, yes. Yes, like Eliza. Let me show you what I'm... Proudest of the architecture. Only she did it when he was alive, so. Oh, got it. Okay, well, so Wright was born in Richland Center, Wisconsin, 20 miles northwest of Spring Green, and he spent summers with his mother's family in Wyoming Valley. That's so white to spend summers places. Yeah. Anyway, near Spring Green and eventually built a house in Spring Green. More on that later. The village of Spring Green lies near the Wisconsin River, about 35 miles west of Madison, Wisconsin. It was laid out in 1843, and some say it was named for the way that the south-facing hills turned green in the spring. Oh, that's so beautiful. Anyway, I don't care. They stole all the land from Native Americans. And actually, (laughs) Native American people began arriving in what became the state of Wisconsin beginning about 12,000 years ago, at the end of the last ice age. Migration concentrated around the Great Lakes. The North and West settlers were the Dakota and Ho-Chunk, formerly known as the Winnebago. Settlers in Northeast, Central, and South Wisconsin were the Menominee, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi. Spring Green originated as a railroad village in 1856 with the building of the Milwaukee and Mississippi Rail Line. Construction workers built log cabins to live in, which soon afterward became the homes of the village's first white settlers. Spring Green is also a wonderful soap scent. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Is that Spring Green? Oh, my God. It smells delicious. (laughs) Incorporated as a village in 1869, it was a shipping point for livestock and wheat and had dairy farming, lumbering, and cheesemaking. The village grew very modestly during the late 19th century and numbered about 800 at the time of World War I. Today, the population is at about 1,500, so it's still very small. And it is very, very white Uh at about 95%. Too close to 100 for me. Yeah, back then when this story took place, it was probably close to, if not at, 100% white. Interesting. Now let's get into the early life of Julian Carlton. 
Mr. Julian Carlton was born in 1884, and he was one of at least 13 children. Now, his parents, so there are many reports that Julian was from Barbados, but that is simply not true. He was actually born in Alabama, and his parents were also born in Alabama and were enslaved. And I wonder if those 13 children, his mom was enslaved, if some of them were sold or Oh, yeah, killed, probably. You know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's possible that his family fled to the Midwest after Julian was born for economic opportunity and to flee white terrorism and violence as a part of the first great migration after the failure of American Reconstruction. Culture Corner time with Wendy and Beth. So the Great Migration, it's been a while since we've mentioned it on the show, but it also goes by other names. The Northward Migration or the Black Migration was a phenomenon in the United States where six million African-Americans were essentially refugees in their own country, fled racial terror and white violence that was happening in the southern United States. Again, after Reconstruction, which was arguably one of the most progressive times in our nation's history, and then Jim Crow and Jim Crow's violence and oppressive nature. They fled to the urban Northeast, Midwest, and West for improved safety, improved living conditions, and economic opportunity between 1910 and 1970. So the Carlton family ended up in Chicago, and Julian was married to a woman named Gertrude. He had a reputation among his neighbors for kind of behaving erratically and bizarrely. One neighbor said that he worried constantly about money and that he would, quote, fly off the handle, unquote, at the slightest provocation. Gertrude often sought solace at a neighbor's house when Julian, quote, frightened her, unquote. He wasn't violent, but she told the neighbor that he'd get spells where he'd be wild-eyed and, quote, do strange things, unquote. By the way, I just learned that Harriet Tubman had narcolepsy. She did? Yeah, and she would have these, she oh my would just gosh. fall asleep. She would just fall asleep. Oh my asleep. God, while she's saving people. While she's saving people. And so, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this time in our history, they had we, didn't no know, we didn't know what Understanding yeah. of mental illness. Yeah. None. Also, don't <laughs> yeah. fact check me on the Harriet Tubman thing. I'm just pretty sure she had. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he had this reputation among his neighbors as being kind of weird. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, he had a stellar reputation as an employee. Mm. He was known as pleasant and mild-mannered, and he was known to be intelligent and a good worker. And to quote one employer, he was a, quote, excellent and honest workman, unquote. And when he worked for Frank Lloyd Wright, Wright commented on his, quote, unquote, unusual intelligence. That's ignorant rich white man speak for I didn't realize black and indigenous people of color were intelligent. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's uh, some casual racism right there. Yeah, Casual, overt racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, now let's dive on into the timeline. Splish, splash, Beth. Well, Frank Lloyd Wright's early childhood was nomadic. His father was a minister and traveled from one ministry position to another in Rhode Island, Iowa, and Massachusetts before settling in Madison, Wisconsin in 1878. His parents divorced in 1885, and Frank never saw or spoke to his father again. To help support the family, 18-year-old Frank worked for the dean of the University of Wisconsin's Department of Engineering while also studying at the university. But he knew he wanted to be an architect. So in 1887, he left Madison for Chicago 
Although he had no degree, he failed forward and found work with two different firms before being hired by the prestigious firm Adler & Sullivan, working directly under Lewis Sullivan for six years. He eventually became Sullivan's chief draftsman. I just thought that was so interesting. No training, no real experience. Just a dream. He's got a dream. (laughs) Though I'm sure it was easier to do that kind of thing back then. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So in 1889, at the age of 22, Wright married Catherine Lee, or Kitty Tobin. Eager to build his own home, he negotiated a five-year contract with Sullivan in exchange for a loan to do so. He purchased a wooded corner lot in the Chicago suburb of Oak Park and built his first house, a modest residence reminiscent of the East Coast shingle style with a prominent roof gable. And I'm disappointed in myself that I know what that is. A roof gable. A gable? Yeah. You know what it is? I do, yeah. And that disappoints you? Yeah, because I feel like <laughs> it's knowledge that hasn't really gotten me very far at all. In <laughs> I have all it's kinds a waste of, of useless knowledge space, like that in my basically. head. <laughs> <laughs> you don't ever like, I don't know. I like to kick it around like, every now and again. My head. I do wonder. I do wonder, but I, I kind of like it. I don't know hey, why. Call me when you play Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> well, I like having useless knowledge. That's why we're Trivial Pursuit champions. So, that's right. That's yeah. right. You at Trivia Night on Thursday. <laughs> but this house also reflected Wright's growing style as he experimented with geometric shapes and volumes in the studio and a playroom he later added for his family of six children. The playroom was designed to inspire and nurture his children and is a physical expression of Wright's belief that, quote, for the same reason that we teach our children to speak the truth, or better still, live the truth, their environment ought to be as truly beautiful as we are capable of making it, unquote. Frank Lloyd Wright lived a life of contradictions and extremes. MoMA curator Barry Bergdahl described him as, quote, both a social progressive and an incredible curmudgeon, unquote. <laughs> When's he coming over for Thanksgiving? I can't wait to meet him. (laughs) He was interested in building beautiful homes for everyday people, and yet he also disparaged them. He was a narcissist and a control freak, a champion of virtue and domesticity. He was also a spendthrift, an adulterer, and a racist. Mm. In the biography about Frank Lloyd Wright called The Fellowship, there are references to Wright using racist and anti-Semitic terms. In 1928, Wright created a conceptual design for Rosenwald Schools, an educational network mostly in the segregated South for Black children, established by Tuskegee Institute educator and activist Booker T. Washington and philanthropist Julius Rosenwald in 1913. The Rosenwald Schools were an experimental model for increasing literacy in Black children and youth and decreasing poverty. The schools were designed to be able to be built by the communities that use them. By 1928, there were over 4,300 Rosenwald schools built. Wow. Mostly in the Jim Crow South. Yeah, that is really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Hampton University was in the process of updating the Rosenwald school's design guidelines, and Wright was chosen to help since he was interested in low-cost design for everyday people and buildings that individuals could construct themselves. Hampton University is an HBCU for nice. those that don't know, and that is pretty cool. Kind of, yeah. it's just just full of contradictions. He is wow, he really LW. Is. <laughs> um, 
So Wright's Unbuilt Project proposed a school that emphasized learning through play and physical activity, taught geometry through architecture, and was designed with affordable construction in mind. He proposed field stone-clad walls, geometric windows, vibrantly colored chevron patterned shingles, and pitched roofs with angles that reflected daylight into the classrooms. This all sounds great, until you get to the part where Wright starts talking about his designs. Oh, boy. (laughs) I just, oh, boy. Mabel O. Wilson, an architectural history and theory professor at Columbia University, said he talked about the building's users through regressive and racist terminology. Here we go. He characterized Black folks as being childlike, enjoying music, dance, and bright colors. And he makes references to darkies. Also, this was, we have to think back to the time. However, we know that bigotry is not right. I think no matter what time period in America or in the world you're in, not being kind to somebody or treating them with respect or giving them courtesy because of what they look like or who they are or their religion is just wrong. So yeah, FLW is, you know, a product of his time, but there were also a lot of people at the time who were not racist. So just wanted to point that out. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that he was probably about as racist as most white people were back then. You know, there were people, there were people who were not racist, Mm -hmm. but I would say that back then there were fewer people who were not racist. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, it's conditioning. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I would have to agree with you, which is unfortunate because it is unfortunate. The evidence yeah. doesn't support having. Oh, thought. of course All not. It, it doesn't. None of it makes any sense. Yeah. But it's just Thank how you. it was. It made yeah. no sense. Still doesn't. Yeah. Why am I here? Still doesn't. <laughs> Where are my pants? <laughs> so Mabel O. Wilson said, quote, These racist sentiments emerge in the Jim Crow era after Reconstruction, which is exactly the period of Wright's youth. And yet he was surrounded by many progressive family members like his uncle, the Unitarian minister Jenkin Lloyd-Jones, who embraced and promoted socially progressive ideas about education, unquote. So he did have some contradictory things coming at him as he was growing up. Okay, Wright wasn't great with money. And escalating expenses tempted him into accepting independent residential commissions, although he did these on his own time. When Sullivan became aware of them in 1893, he charged Wright with a breach of contract. Wright either quit or was fired, and he opened an office and began designing homes independently. Frank Lloyd Wright is remembered today for his innovative creations, such as the Falling Water House in western Pennsylvania, built atop a waterfall and the spiral-shaped Guggenheim Museum in New York City. Yeah, plus his fingerprint is all over the Phoenix Valley area. Yeah. Anyway, in the early 20th century, however, he was often in the newspapers for a much different reason. His extramarital affair with Mary Bouton Bothwick, or MAMA. She has been described as a proto-feminist and free love advocate. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're thinking boom, chicka, wow, wow. Yeah, but woman. But. woman. <laughs> oh, 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 there's more. Yeah, free love at this time meant the ability to freely choose a monogamous sexual partner. Oh. And freely choose to end a marriage or a relationship when you wanted to. The phrase was used by those who wanted to remove the state from decisions about marriage, birth control, sexual partners, and marital fidelity. They were like, fuck you, get out of our business. Get out of my bedroom, get out of my uterus, please. Yes. Um, so these sentiments are not new. 
and you love to see it. So she was highly educated, earning her BA and MA from the University of Michigan before taking a job as a librarian and then marrying a man named Edwin Cheney and having two children. Uh, wasn't life grand for women in the 20th century? Uh, maybe <laughs> only for white women. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying it wasn't, it wasn't grand. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, she earned both her BA and her MA. and She should have been able to do whatever she wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Thank you. I'm, I'm just, oh, it's just occurring to me. This is a sign of progress looking back at MEMA and where we are now. Yes. So, yes, there's that. It is. So Mayma Borthwick met Wright's wife, Kitty, before she met Frank Lloyd Wright himself. The two women were both members of a women's club. And after they met Mayma's husband, Edwin, hired Wright to design a house for him. How much money do you have to have to ask somebody, hey, will you design, a, design whole a house ass house for me? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so while spending so much time together during the drafting and construction process, Mema and Wright fell in love. Wright was married and had six children. Mema was married and had two children. The Brady Bunch. <laughs> six years later, they ran off to Europe together, leaving their spouses and children behind. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty wild back like, then. And they got they fun. got a lot of flack I'm for sure. it. Oh, for I'm sure. sure. Yeah. His career was pretty much over destroyed. after that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, he had to build it back up again. Oh, but yeah. too yeah. bad he didn't have Instagram. He, I mean, influencers, <laughs> watch <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> A podcast and Instagram would have changed all of that. I'm just thinking about all the pictures of them in Europe exactly. together. <laughs> exactly. When you'd be like, oh my God, this FLW guy, he is really something. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. 
Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. So after a year in Europe, Frank Lloyd Wright returned without Mema. Kitty was so sure he'd come back to reconcile their marriage that she told the Tribune, quote, Our family is reunited. I knew he would come back. He is the soul of honor, unquote. Oh, man. You know, I enjoy shows like Love and Hip Hop and Basketball Wives. And it's Black women who are married to wealthy athletes and and things like that. Uh And athletes often cheat on their wives. And what a common theme of the women is to tell their husbands, don't embarrass me. Do whatever you want. Right, right. I'll live with the money and the luxury. Keep it on the down low. Yeah, just don't embarrass me. And Frank Lloyd Wright, he embarrassed the fuck yeah, out of Kitty. Yeah, he did not Ooh. keep it on the down low. No, he did not. <laughs> so he was not, in fact, the soul of honor. Mema had simply <laughs> stayed behind in Europe until she could get a divorce. In the meantime, Wright began work on a residence and studio in Spring Green, Fresh Scent, Wisconsin. He called the estate Taliesin after a third century Welsh poet. And his ancestry was Welsh. Yeah. His family was very proud of that fact. Oh, okay. Well, the only Welsh person I know is Catherine Zeta-Jones. She's pretty cool. She's Welsh? Yeah. I did not know that. I have Welsh ancestry. Do you? Okay. Yeah. It's it's a little little bit. Yeah. Most of my ancestry is just the UK. Yeah. (laughs) Well, still, that's cool. All I know about Welsh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. She's fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. (laughs) So Taliesin also means shining brow. And the name symbolized Wright's intention to create a home that was of the hill, not on it. Hmm. Wright was a proponent of what he called organic architecture. That is building structures designed in harmony with the environment. So Taliesin was built below the hill crest or on its brow. And this is what I really think is cool about his architecture i think it's cool too it's just i love it more for you than <laughs> than, yes. yeah so, so the, the house used local materials to echo the expansiveness of the wisconsin landscape with a layout that the architect described as low wide and snug <laughs> it's like my ass anyway <laughs> Low, wide, and snug. Your ass yeah. is like a Frank Lloyd yeah. Wright building. Low, wide, and snug. <laughs> uh, no. Come and get some. So, I'm sorry. You know what? This is our last episode for the year. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. 2024. One. So, local farmers helped Wright move stone from the yellow limestone quarry nearby which he then mixed with sand from the river to create Taliesin's walls. Plaster for the interior walls was mixed with sienna, providing a golden hue (laughs) reflective of the pastoral setting. Mayma and her husband Edwin divorced, and Wright moved Mayma into Taliesin. The public was scandalized. Kitty refused to give Wright a divorce, so the couple lived at Taliesin in Sin. Oh. The press branded Taliesin a love nest, the love cottage, and the castle of love. I love the scandal of it all. TMZ, <laughs> <laughs> where you wet? Shade room, hello. <laughs> so local residents were not all welcoming of their new neighbors. There were even threats of tarring and feathering that failed to drive the couple from spring green. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the townspeople actually called upon the local sheriff to arrest that man for adultery. <laughs> that is so dumb. It is. Yeah. Wright, who had one idea of virtue for the masses, had another one for himself. He didn't care about standard conventions or what the outside world thought of his relationship. He told one reporter, quote, Two women were necessary for a man of artistic mind, one to be the mother of his children and the other to be his mental companion, his inspiration and soulmate, unquote. Fuck off. This guy stinks. So to another, <laughs> another, he said, quote, laws and rules are made for the average. I mean, do my FLW impression. The ordinary man cannot live without rules to guide his conduct. Is it definitely more difficult to live without rules? But that is what the really honest, sincere thinking man is compelled to do. Unquote. <laughs> what a dick. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Imagine. Yeah, he really was a dick. <laughs> yeah. He's, I've, I'm getting Andrew Tate vibes. Um, oh, yeah, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Taliesin was a large home and also a fully functioning farm, and Wright needed workers to keep it functioning. He hired Julian and Gertrude Carlton based on the recommendation of a friend in Chicago. The couple claimed to be from Barbados. They were the only black people at Taliesin and probably for many, many miles around. Now, this does something really fucked up to your psyche when you are the only black the person. The only black people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and traditionally in america all white spaces are not safe for they're not welcoming no not welcoming and unsafe so quick yeah. culture corner so the couple may have claimed to be from the caribbean as opposed to being black american or african americans and my sense from hearing this fact is that they did so maybe to try to appear more favorably in the eyes of their employers and then their coworkers right cuz after slavery was abolished and during Reconstruction, white America had to figure out what to do with this quote-unquote newly emancipated population of human beings that were formerly property. Like, black people are just property, just walking around. Wait, walking around, yeah, That's yeah. my stuff, literally, is like what's going on in white America. Yeah. And the institution of slavery was really shameful for America, and the loss of the Civil War was really shameful for white Southerners. And the whole ordeal you was don't want to be a walking reminder. Exactly. And it was painful for black America, too. And so it's all it's complicated. So it might have just been easier to say I'm from Barbados. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. That was yeah. my thought. So, yeah. So Julian was hired as a butler and general handyman. And Gertrude was hired as a cook. Mayma commented to friends that the Carltons were ideal servants. Too good to be true. And Wright also spoke positively of them. Gertrude later said that they were well-treated and she liked the place, but Carlton was psychologically disturbed by the rustic isolation. He felt alienated and he was homesick for Chicago. As the days went on, those at the estate noticed that Carlton was becoming more and more paranoid and would stay up late at night, standing at his window and staring. Gertrude said he was barely sleeping and he kept a hatchet in a bag by the bed. She also said that Carlton complained about people picking on him. Interesting. Interesting. So little, little digs. It's like little things adding up. Yeah. So on the night before the murders, Carlton went into David Lindblom's room and stood there with the butcher knife in his hand 
attacked him for a while and then left. That's creepy. They, yeah, were they cutting be... any sort of meat or vegetables? Nope. nope, he was just standing there with a knife in his hand. That would freak me the fuck out. <laughs> it would. I'm just in my mind like, there's got to be a reason to have a butcher knife in your hand while you're talking to your coworker. Could there be? Uh, to kill him? Uh, <laughs> good point. Okay, let's move on. So although it's been widely reported that the Carltons were fired, according to Gertrude, they quit. Hmm. She said that Carlton, he wasn't happy. So he forced her to tell Mayma that she wanted to go back to Chicago because she was lonesome. It was probably a, a pride thing. He didn't want oh, to be the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he forced her to do it. Yeah. And and there was no sudden firing. That has been something people have said for a long time, that they were fired. And that may have been what kicked off this whole thing. But that didn't happen. Yeah. I, my understanding is there was a newspaper like classified ad for the position. And if it was sudden, yeah. that you it, that wouldn't be a sudden move. Right. right? So exactly. There are reports that the Carltons experienced some racism or animosity from other staff in the home. Remember, this is a PWI, a predominantly white space or a PWS. Right. And that one of Wright's draftsmen, Emil Brodell, referred to Carlton with a racial slur when Carlton refused to saddle his horse, even though Carlton was not a farmhand. That's not my job, yeah. bro. Slavery's over. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> so Saturday, August 15th, 1914, was the Carlton's final day at Taliesin. According to Gertrude, they had plans to return to Chicago by train. Frank Lloyd Wright was actually in Chicago working on a design for the Midway Garden, so he was not home. I was just thinking about, I'm jotting down a note. So this all happened in August, and August is traditionally, it's like Black history in the summer. Black August is a month where a lot of Black resistance is celebrated because there was a lot of Black resistance moments in history that occurred in August. In so, August. Oh, I don't know if this is an act of resistance, but the fact that it's in August stands out to me. Anyway, at some point before noon, Carlton had approached the foreman, William Weston, and asked permission to retrieve a container of gasoline in order to clean out some soiled rugs. Is is that a rug cleaner? Apparently. Um, <laughs> I've never used it to clean rugs, but, you know, they used to use a lot of different things to do stuff back then. They didn't have all the things that we have. Okay, so there yeah, you go. Okay, so <laughs> Billy Mays here, OxyClean was not available. Nope. Okay, not so, available in 1914. So Weston <laughs> told him where to get the gas. Around noon, Mayma sat down to lunch on the porch at Taliesin with her two children, John, 12, and Martha, 8. The workers also sat down to lunch. The lunch was cooked and served by the Carltons. But the family and the workers dined separately. Five of Wright's draftsmen and laborers were present. Emil Brodell, Thomas Brunker, David Lindblom, Herbert Fritz, and Foreman William Weston, as well as Weston's 13-year-old son, Ernest, who was helping out his dad that day. They sat together in a room at the end of a 25-foot-long passageway on the other side of the building from Mema and her children. After serving the workers their lunch, Carlton closed the dining room doors and then returned to Mayma and the children carrying an axe. Although no one knows for certain, it is believed that Carlton attacked Mayma first, hitting her in the head <gasps> with the axe. Wow, that escalated so fast. We 
are gonna just yeah, clean it a is rug very fast. and eat lunch. Yeah, and then boom, yeah. Boom, literally. He then struck her 12-year-old son, John, in the head with the axe, most likely killing him instantly. Eight-year-old Martha ran for her life and Julian caught up to her outside. He struck her as well and she fell to the ground, but she did not die immediately. The employees who were dining in the closed-off room were unaware that Carlton had just slaughtered Mayma and her children on the porch. Carlton then poured the gasoline under the dining room doors and around the outside walls and lit the house on fire. So just as the workers were noticing the liquid coming in from under the doors, the dining room burst into flames. With his clothes burning, Herbert Fritz jumped out of the window next to where he had been sitting, breaking his arm in the process. He rolled down the hillside to put out the flames. As Fritz looked back, he saw Taliesin in flames and Carlton wielding his hatchet against his co-workers who were trying to escape. It's been widely reported that Carlton had locked the doors and windows, imprisoning the workers inside. But this was not true. In fact, it seems that he expected the men to come out of the door where he waited for them, hatchet in hand, to strike them one by one as they came out. He apparently did not expect that they would come out of the windows as well. William Weston made it out of the same window as Fritz, and Carlton came running after him, knocking him to the ground by two blows from the dull end of the hatchet. And I don't know if he intended to use the dull end or if he was just like in a rampage and he didn't even realize what end he was using. Okay. But okay. Yeah, that's what happened. And then he must have assumed that Weston was dead and he turned back to the door, killing Thomas Brunker with a blow to the skull. And Emile Brodell and 13-year-old Ernest Weston were also fatally struck with the blade of the axe. Although badly burned and wounded, William Weston and landscape gardener David Lindblom managed to escape with Herbert Fritz. The men ran half a mile to the nearest house to get help. So now let's get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth! (laughs) Only two men survived the ordeal. Herbert Fritz, who made it out the window first and got far enough away before Carlton noticed, and William Weston, who Carlton hit but mistook for dead. David Lindblom, who also escaped was so severely burned, he later succumbed to his injuries. The townspeople who rushed to the scene found the bodies of Borthwick, her two children, two workers, and 13-year-old Ernest. Presumably mostly white folk, they were furious and wanted to find and lynch Carlton right then and right there. The sheriff arrived and orchestrated a search party to find Julian Carlton. They found Gertrude, who had also been in the home when it burst into flames, and she'd jump out of a window to save herself. She was arrested, held in custody and questioned, but was never charged with anything. Later that evening, the townspeople found Carlton alive hiding inside the unlit asbestos-lined furnace after swallowing what he believed to be a lethal dose of hydrochloric acid. What can hydrochloric acid do if you drink it? (laughs) We'd like to thank our sponsor, Hydrochloric Acid, for this episode. Hydrochloric acid, Beth, is a corrosive substance that can cause burns, irritation, and even death. Ingesting it can cause severe corrosive injury to the mouth, throat, esophagus, and stomach. The person may then experience scarring of the esophagus and or stomach, which can cause difficulty swallowing, stricture, or gastric obstruction, leading to abdominal pain, vomiting after eating, and weight loss. Thank you, Chloric Acid. acid. So, yeah, if you think about it, like uh, it's an acid. So if you drink it 
and it burns like your insides, then there's scarring and stuff. It might, it would be hard to. It sounds so painful. Very painful. So painful. And then maybe you wouldn't be able to digest food. I mean, it could cause stricture or gastric Mm -hmm. obstruction, making Mm -hmm. it impossible for you to digest food and you would just vomit it up. Yeah. So nothing's going down the hatchet. And oh, maybe that's uh, a pun. Down the hatch. A pun the I hatch. should. But down the hatch. <laughs> Nothing's going down the hatch. Whoops. Uh, and so if the chemical doesn't kill you, what it does to you after it would. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. <laughs> as much as yeah. we love. Thanks for sponsoring us. And our show, sponsors. But, yes. but don't, don't drink it. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry about that one. <laughs> So the mob of townspeople wanted to lynch Carlton right there on the spot. They dragged him out, determined to lynch him, but the sheriff prevented the mob from carrying out the lynching and arrested Carlton, sending him off to the county jail in Dodgeville. So the sheriff sounds pretty level-headed and reasonable. Like, this is, we're a country, a democracy now, and we don't lynch people. We don't, we're, we're better than this, guys. Let's calm down. So let's do the proper things yes but also if they had lynched him then they would never be able to get him to tell them what he had done and why he had done it good point good point good point so Wright was called and told that Tallison was on fire and he rushed to get back home (laughs) a 10-hour rush anyway he hopped on a train with his 22 year old son John to head to Wisconsin on the way, they ran into Mama's ex-husband, Edwin Cheney. I mean, you can't write this stuff. Yeah. So Cheney was also aware that his family was in danger due to Taliesin being on fire. And they all awkwardly traveled 10 hours from Chicago to Madison, Wisconsin by train. Sounds horrible. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, not only are you dealing with... Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. The house is on fire. Is my family okay? But then you're dealing with the ex-husband. and Yeah. 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 And the relationship, you know, all that controversy surrounding their connection. So. Yes. Yeah. Tough, 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 tough. No, thanks. So now let's get into the trial. So (laughs) there was no trial. Although he had survived, Carlton's throat was severely burned from the acid he drank. And despite medical attention, And for the time and given his race and recent activities, I don't know how great his medical attention was, but they gave it to him. And at times he could barely speak or eat. Yeah. So he would eat sometimes fine. And then other times he couldn't eat at all. So, yeah. And I heard one source say they thought he was faking it. Yeah. I I don't think so. I don't think think so either. His his insides were all fucked up. Did you see what our sponsor did? That chemical <laughs> did him. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the day after the murders, as he was being looked after by a doctor, Carlton told the doctor that he had planned the murders, that he had hidden some clothes in the woods and was going to escape. But the townspeople came so quickly that he didn't have time. So instead, he hid in the furnace, and when it became apparent to him that there would be no escape, he drank the hydrochloric acid. Yeah, I think he thought it was going to kill him right away. I think so, too. I think so, too. Yeah. As for the motive, there have been many theories, one being that Carlton had become enraged after some of the workers directed racial slurs at him, pointing to the dispute between him and Emile Brodel a few days earlier about saddling the horse. 
he was probably often subjected to the everyday casual racism that was endemic at that time. And it was probably worse at this remote location that was made up of almost 100% white people. Yeah, it reminds me of the movie Get Out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to be here. So Paul Hendrickson, an author of a book on this story, wrote that race was an important identifier in describing Carlton in the press, where they called him, quote, the black butcher, the black beast. Oh, I hate that one. The Negro fiend. Oh, this is getting worse. Yeah. And in a few places worse than that, unquote. Yeah, they use the N-word too. In, in like the the headlines. Oh yeah. my God, unquote. On the death certificates, the causes of death were listed as killed by a Negro. That is a Can cause of death? Oh my yes. God. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't. I've seen a lot of death certificates like in my day and I've, yeah. I cannot imagine. It's like homicide or, you know, yeah. cardiac arrest or, yeah. but not killed Never. by, I, I can't even imagine like if you got killed by a bear, yeah, <laughs> that it would say killed by a bear. I, think it might, I mean, yeah, but that just seems so, I mean, homicide maybe yeah implies, homicide. it would be homicide that implies yeah. yeah that he was these people were killed by not a human exactly yeah. that's why i mentioned that yeah being killed by a bear yeah yes. you know, i can't even imagine it saying being killed by a bear but <laughs> <laughs> i think it would i think it would say yeah a bear uh yeah but bear attack. then maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> killed by bear attack. but a bear is an <laughs> animal that exactly that's so, alienable so right they're basically equating this man to an animal exactly exactly and yeah. while what he did was brutal it was awful, horrible horrific yeah. he's still yeah he's but still human, it, it, you know they're talking about a whole race of people yes yes they not are not just one man yeah. so yeah 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 you're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, God. What else happened? <laughs> <laughs> so initially, Carlton was charged only with Brodell's murder, presumably because it presented them with the best, most provable case. And at an August 27th hearing, a man named Harper Harrison, who was probably a part-time deputy, testified that Carlton told him that Emile Brodell had insulted him and had actually struck him the day after the argument about the horse and that at that point, Carlton had made up his mind that he would get Brodell. I think, I I just want a a culture corner in here. I think it might be hard for people who haven't experienced bigotry or oppression because of part of your identity. Like, how could you get so mad at somebody saying something racist to you? Or how does that result in violence? But the act of racism or oppression or bigotry itself, those words used to hurt people, I believe, count as violence. You know, even though yeah. you don't you don't lay hands on me, if you call me the N-word, best believe you are going to catch my hands. So, yeah. because it feels like it's it's on. It's just as it's, bad it's as different. a hit, a physical hit. Yeah, and it's different from just calling you a doo-doo head or something, you Think know? A doo-doo <laughs> head. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad we had this talk. It is... So much worse than calling somebody yeah. a doo-doo head. What is, oh my God, this is so, I I love doing this show with you, friend. Oh my God. So, so, oh my God. So he then related 
that he killed Mayma because he mistook her for a man who had come to Brodel's aid. He offered no reason for killing all of the others. He made a similar confession to the sheriff that his motive was to kill Brodell, but he claimed that he did not recall killing all of the others. But Carlton also offered other explanations, such as that it was in self-defense or out of fear of Brodell and the others. Mm. He claimed the fire was an accident that happened when he lit a pipe while cleaning a rug with gasoline. Never do that, you guys. <laughs> well, uh, seriously, that's why I'm wondering. I can't believe it's a cleaning thing because I've heard of people using gasoline to get rid of lice, but then their hair oh, yeah. catches fire from oh. rubbing it in. So, oh, geez. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you don't have lice. So. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I didn't I should have researched that, but I did not. Beth, you failed. That's it. I failed. You're out of here. Beth Get her out of here. <laughs> so yeah, he said he uh lit a pipe while he was cleaning the rug with gasoline, but then he couldn't explain why that caused him to attack people with an axe. <laughs> oh, uh you wanted to know the why? Oh no. Oh no, no, no. So Carlton withered away slowly. I think he lost like 50 pounds Yeah, and finally died of starvation on October 7th, 53 days, approximately seven weeks after his crime, weighing about 90 pounds. Shortly before he died, the sheriff demanded to know if he had killed Brodell because he was angry with him, to which Carlton replied, quote, I guess you solved the question, unquote. <laughs> Which I don't know if is sarcasm or what. I think I don't he's know. I think he's playing around. I mean, this yeah. guy had already resigned himself to not making it out of that alive. He has nothing yeah. to lose. So it's all true at this point, true. just a game, in my opinion. He's just like, Yep, I guess yeah. you solved the question. Oh, you're a genius, Sheriff. Yeah. You win. <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. So people also claimed that he had been in several disputes with both employees and Mema and that he had been fired by Mema. But as we discussed earlier, the Carltons had quit. They had not been fired. According to Mariel Seacrest's biography of Frank Lloyd Wright, a witness recalled Lindblom having said of Carlton, quote, If anyone around there ever did him any dirt, he would send him to hell in a minute, unquote. So he had a, he had a temper. temper is what he's saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think 
we can call what happened. We can say uh, that yes, he, he may he may have had a temper. That's a temper <laughs> tantrum if I've ever seen one. So now let's get into where are they now? What do you got for us, Beth? The day after Carlton died, his corpse was shipped off to the University of Wisconsin, where it was divided up and then dissected by faculty members and student physicians. Mm -hmm. They were most interested in the brain and any abnormalities that might have explained his actions. Nothing abnormal was reported. Afterwards, he was cremated and his ashes simply disposed of. I'm getting a eugenics vibe. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's around that time. Yeah. Yep. So even after the tragedy, the public remained fixated on the relationship between Wright and Mama. What? That's the least interesting part of all of this. Anyway, <laughs> in their reports on the murders, newspapers still referred to Taliesin as the love cottage. Welcome. Would you like some cabathier? <laughs> so the Ogden Standard even reported that some neighbors pointed, quote, to the tragic ruin of the kingdom of love as the strongest argument that the avenging angel still flies, unquote. What? Ugh, that's so gross. Uh, what? It's like karma. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, so gross. Wisconsin, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, I don't. Unless, just, yeah. just, just this part. Just kidding. All I like, yeah, time. just this one part. Yeah. <laughs> Wright was understandably distraught after the murders. He cut down every single flower at Taliesin, and with his son John, he filled Mayma's casket with the flowers and buried her himself wow. in a family cemetery on the land. Wow. Yeah. Although, you know, Trump buried his ex-wife on his property, and part of me thinks, <laughs> did, he, did FLW do this because of the love or the tax breaks? We'll never know. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Taliesin was rebuilt, quote, in honor of the woman who inspired it, unquote. Once completed, Wright then effectively abandoned it for nearly a decade, working on major commissions in Tokyo and Los Angeles. So off to get more Benjamins, more money. Yeah. And also he probably just didn't want to be there. Good point. OK, yeah. I'm forgetting of I, I am listening to myself say these not nice things about FLW. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm I well, I, he was a dick he but was a you dick. know he was a human being he was so a human being I'm sure he thank was you. uh devastated that's yeah. what I'm trying to say thank you yeah he was yeah. a human being and with yeah. suffered tremendous loss yes but Wright did not stay single for long a woman named Miriam Noel wrote a condolence letter and then sent him steamy sympathy notes what? calling him Lord of my waking dreams. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the two became an item. And I get the feeling that Frank Lloyd Wright was not a guy who could be alone. He wasn't. But his mom, remember his mom abandoned or no, who somebody abandoned him. His dad. His, his dad, dad left. Yeah. He didn't come back. So, you know, it makes right. sense. So Catherine finally granted Wright a divorce in 1922 and Wright and Noel wed the next year. Two years later, Wright's estate burned to the ground once again. No! This time, from faulty wiring, Wright rebuilt Taliesin for the second time. Wright and Noel's relationship was tumultuous. She had a heroin problem and may have suffered from bipolar disorder. They divorced and Wright married his fourth and final love interest, Olgavana Lazovic, in 1928. 
Four wives. Wow. Well, four four love interests. He was oh. never married to Mayma. Oh, that's okay. So Wright continued to use Taliesin as a home and studio until his death. Despite its controversial beginnings and morbid history, today Taliesin is a national historic landmark and is visited by thousands of tourists every year. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So now let's get into our hot takes. What are your hot, spicy takes? <laughs> Sorry, Beth, about the, I don't know if your hero has fallen to hell. Oh, no, I knew he was a dick. Oh, okay. Um, It's one of those things where I have to separate the art from the artist. Got it. You know? Yeah, I get it. Totally get it. Yeah. So Carlton definitely had some mental health issues. Although what they were exactly, mm-hmm. we'll never know for sure. Right. Maybe there was some schizophrenia in there or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely paranoid and seemed to suffer from extreme anxiety. Yeah. He reportedly worried about money constantly and he was super stressed by the surroundings at Taliesin, which probably did not help with whatever mental illness he was suffering from. Yeah. I mean, all the things. I agree completely. He was probably under a lot of stress being isolated and worrying about money and all the things. All that stuff. Yeah. And although there was a large population of black folks in Chicago and he still had mental health issues there, too. But he didn't kill anyone. Yep. And he never actually did anything violent. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it was the the place itself and the surroundings that really exacerbated his mental illness. I could not. That is terrifying. I mean, just the idea of being in the woods with not another Black person in sight. I'm just going to lay down on the ground and wait to die. That's what my body is telling me. This isn't good. Just end it. It's done. Yeah, it's done. it would be a yeah. nightmare yeah. for sure. Yeah. And um, we had mentioned that Carlton was worried about money constantly. And Wright was notoriously bad with money. Mm. And he didn't always pay his workers on time or sometimes at all. So that may have also been a stressor. Yeah, Yeah. he he was just so bad with money. He there was some anecdote about uh, one worker calling him because he hadn't been paid. And he's like, hey, Frank, you know, I'm worried because I haven't been paid. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank Lloyd Wright was like, well, I don't know why we should both be worried. And he hung up. What? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> what? Okay. Take every FLW built, just burn it down. Why do we why do we do this to people well, it's beautiful. who are bad people? Bad people. Well, the, the the buildings are beautiful and the artwork is beautiful, you know? Yeah. 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 Beth loves yeah. it. I do. <laughs> I know, I know. He's a dick, so <laughs> I know. It's okay. It's okay. I totally get a really appreciating the art and not and not the being, artist. Not the artist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially 2023 after the Me Too and all this R. Kelly P. Diddy bullshit. I totally oh, yeah. get it. Yeah. 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 So one thing that was interesting to me though was that Carlton attacked Mayma and her children first. So I don't know. Was he angriest at her or did he just want to get them out of the way so he would be free to kill the others and set the place on fire? And he also didn't seem to care if Gertrude died. Yeah. So that was kind of 
I don't I don't know what was going on that there. That is interesting cuz yeah, I mean, I was wondering what about the Gertrude of it all? Where did she go? But yeah. She, I mean, she she ran away. She was questioned, she, she had was arrested. She had to jump through a window yeah. to yeah. get out of the building. Mm-hmm. He didn't even give her a warning like, yeah. "Hey, I'm going to set the but house on fire." About her, when you are in a relationship with somebody who is unpredictable, you have to be ready for anything. True. And it's interesting. He, he must have put her through the ringer because she was so prepared yeah. for whatever came her way that she jumped out the window. Yeah. When and, he and, and, and I also in. read that she got her best hat and I then she jumped too. out the window. I read that too. Yeah. And that is such an old <laughs> black lady thing. I actually went <laughs> hat shopping with my grandma. I hated it. But now looking back, I mean, that was what that a, a hat is a possession that you can have. If you're a, a poor black person, something nice that you can wear. It's an investment. Yeah. You go to the store and you, you know, it's it's a whole thing. So and you can I totally wear it when you're jumping out a window. You can wear it when you're jumping out of the window or on Sunday. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting to me how little attention this story has received like yeah i went to school for art yes and i never even heard about this story until way later mm-hmm. i want to say maybe 10 or 15 years ago really? there was a book that came out and oh. before then i didn't know anything about it really and so there is a taliesin west it's in well it's in scottsdale okay and it's frank lloyd wright's winter home Ah. so yeah Yeah. so I've been there Mm -hmm. and I don't remember hearing about it there either okay the first time I went so okay I think they're talking about it now but I think it was like a secret oh maybe Olga Vanna when she was like rehabbing his image or whatever didn't want to talk about it oh you know, that's giving me as Daughters of the Confederacy vibes is yeah, when women yeah. come in and just kind of do what they can to change, the narrative. change yeah, yeah, rehab the story. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. There's Frank Lloyd Wright Boulevard in Scottsdale. Like his, yep. he, you know, he's pretty prominent. And I never heard of Frank Lloyd Wright until I moved to Arizona. Oh, wow. And again, I can't tell you how many white ladies I've been with. Beth included. Beth is my favorite one. Who have been like, let's check out this Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. And I'm just like, yeah, there's a bunch of houses. Um, So the Biltmore was not built by Frank Lloyd Wright, but was built by a protege. So it's it's in the same style. And we've both been to the Biltmore Mm -hmm. for work functions. Right, right. uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I could care less. But I was reading this and thinking when I was preparing for this case, Oh, poor Beth, her hero. <laughs> I was really sad no, for you. It's all right. I, I knew. I knew he was a dick. Okay. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad it's not a surprise. But th- this this entire story, I had never heard of it at all. But it, it does seem to me that what we do know is entirely told from the white gaze. Oh, yeah. G-A-Z-E. So something yeah. happened to this rich white guy in his rich white house to his rich white family. And there's very little commentary on the conditions of the invisible class that it took to make FLW do his creation and also run these massive homes. Yeah. Like there's working poor. All the workers. All the workers, the black and brown people, et cetera, in this post-Reconstruction America that everybody's trying to figure out. And boy, it sounds like he was a really racist, anti-Semitic asshole. 
asshole. (laughs) And given the story being mostly told about, you know, the FLW of it all. Right. We don't know all. It feels like there are parts of the story that are missing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The dehumanizing circumstances, poverty, racism, I think all might have contributed to Julian Carlton's sense of anger and resentment for his station in life which was clearly unjust and unfair. Yeah. And I think he just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, he was yeah. already, you know, shaky in terms of his mental health and mental fortitude. He just had it. And he just, hasta aquí. Yeah, yeah. And this is a tragic case. Tragic all around. It is. And I just, I think what I found most interesting about this case is the time period in American history that this takes place. You know, it's post-Reconstruction. It's in the midst of Jim Crow and the Great Migration. Also, shout out to Gertrude for getting yeah. the fuck out. I don't know where she is, but I hope she's just, you know, in, in heaven. Lived, like, lived yeah, her best, lived life. best yeah. life. Yeah. And uh, that's all I got. So all right. now let us know what you think. You know where to find us. But let's get into how not to get murdered. So, all right. <clears throat> If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. Ooh. I'm trying to come in lower. I've been trying to come in lower. You notice? <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So by now, we are, we're all fruities. We're all friends here, right? And we're pretty familiar with the things that are associated or contribute to crime and violent crime, including lack of opportunity, poverty, mental illness, and stress. So it's the holidays. And, you know, in recovery spaces, we call this time of year the Bermuda Triangle because of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and the New Year's. Yeah, yeah. And so I have a gazillion links that will be in the description box for mental health and substance use support, including online meetings. Also, with regard to the poverty aspect, I just heard about a really cool author and a website he created called endpoverty.org. And it is a website that has resources and tips and places and things we can do to help end poverty in the world. Nice. The links for all those things. Don't, can't forget about SAMHSA, the National Helpline, the National Suicide Prevention Line, Veterans Crisis. I've got links for uh, Cocaine Anonymous. I don't use cocaine, but if you do, or um, Codependency or Al-Anon. There, so all those will be in the description box. In the show notes. It's a tough time of year and let's all get through it. All right. So now let's get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about people of color or any other marginalized folks or any true crime goodies. I got two. Okay. Okay. So on Instagram, there's, (laughs) uh, I don't know how I came across this. I want to say Mean Green Marlene. Turn me on to them. Yeah, she's got some really cool recommendations. So Marlene, if this was you, thank you, because I have been listening to this album nonstop. The account is Some Rap Couple. Some Rap Couple. It's an indigenous couple on Instagram. The lady sings, the boyfriend raps. It's just, it's a vibe. Nice. And the song I've been playing on replay is V for Vanity. It's a dope track on the album that's called Lionfish. And again, they're an indigenous rap duo. And if you're into like neo soul, hip hop, like a song, Sounds awesome. with some rap, it's great. 
Also, Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God on HBO. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> that was nuts, right? Oh, my God. Yes. What do you got, Beth? Um, I wanted to shout out a show called Black Snow. Ooh. It's an Australian crime drama huh? TV series. Uh-huh. It's set in an Australian South Sea Islander community in northern Queensland. Oh. This is a culture I don't know anything about. So I was oh. really excited to watch this show. And Travis Fimmel from Vikings is in it. He plays a detective. He sounds like a you know. snack. I don't know who that is. But... Yeah, he's kind of a snack. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you say Travis plus Vikings, Australian shows, probably, probably eye candy. Okay, probably great. a snack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm watching it on Acorn TV. I haven't finished it yet, but so far I'm really liking it. I don't know where else it might be, but that's where I found it. Acorn's free, right? No, it's it's a paid one, but it's like $5 a month or something. It's pretty cheap. Okay. It's a, a lot of international shows. Oh, okay. So just to recap, that's Some Rap Couple on Instagram, a song called V for Vanity on the album Lionfish, wherever you get your music. Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God on HBO, as well as Black Snow on acorn tv and look y'all that's it that's all of it. a sudden our break is upon us yes but beth where can the people find us in the meantime our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use fruit loops pod for all of our social media the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a fruit loops patron you can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Five, five stars, stars only, please. please. <laughs> also, don't forget to subscribe. All right. All true. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. is my favorite one who have been like let's check out this franklin Wright architecture and i'm just like yeah Are you? she just took a dna test turns out she's 100 percent that bitch you know one of the good ones <laughs> come on let's go look at the franklin Wright architecture yes like what <laughs> the franklin Wright of it all because i know how much beth loves him and hello <laughs> i'm thinking about You're, christmas i, I thought They're you were christmas trying to do a angels. frank lloyd Wright impression <laughs> <gasps> Would you like to see my architectural drawings? Is what I imagine him speaking like. <laughs>
and he spent summers with his mother's family in Wyoming Valley. That's so white to spend summers places. Yeah. That's spring <laughs> green. Oh, my God. That smells delicious. <laughs> Some say it was named for the way that the south-facing hills turned green in the spring. Oh, that's so beautiful. Anyway, I don't care. They stole all the land from Native Americans. A roof gable. A gable? Yeah. You know what it is? I do, yeah. And that disappoints you? Yeah, because I feel like it's knowledge that hasn't really gotten me very far at all. In <laughs> What? That's the least interesting part of all of this. Anyway, in there, I love the scandal of it all. <laughs> Fuck off. This guy stinks. So to another, to another, he said, quote, the ordinary man cannot live without rules to guide his conduct. It is indefinitely more difficult to live without rules. But that is what the really honest, sincere thinking man is compelled to do, unquote. <laughs> what a dick. I know. Well, I don't know why we should both be worried and he hung up. What? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> what? Okay. I was really sad no, for you. It's all right. I, I knew. I knew he was a dick. Okay. Okay. Well, that escalated so fast. We were gonna just yeah, it is very fast. And eat lunch. Yeah, and then boom, yeah, boom, literally. Hey, I'm gonna set the then house also on fire. About her, um, <sighs> um, uh, what did I want to say? Um, the Menomin Menomin Potawatomi Potawatomi Potawatomi. Let's see. What else was I? Was uh, Taliesin after a Taliesin. Taliesin. Oh, okay. Okay. It's sleepy time. I hope I don't fall asleep on the mic. Mm. Just kidding. <laughs> you know what? This is our last episode for the year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. 2024. <laughs> it's break time. Yeah. <laughs> Beth yes. and Wendy on a break. <laughs> uh, Wait a minute. I'm just going to play all of them before we go. I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to miss the break. (laughs) Another one. Okay, I'm done. Oh, wait. All right. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, that I'm done one. now. I'm done, I'm done playing I around. I what that one was. <laughs> what was that one? That sound again? What was it for? Well, it was prayer list. Let's add the you to the prayer list. Yeah, add, adding you to oh, the prayer list. Oh, and I list. accidentally yeah. just deleted it. Add from me the to the prayer board. list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Whoops. You know what? That is a sign that I it's need to stop for bed. this recording yeah. and not mess anything up. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. 
What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story, Conning the Con.